Hello, EB Online Church family. Whether you're watching us from your home or someone else's back porch, wherever you may be today, thank you so much for making us part of your day. Now, last week we answered our now what question by saying that when we don't know what to do, well, we should pray stubbornly. That's what the apostles of Jesus did. They were in survival mode in Acts chapter 1. They were waiting around to do what Jesus had told them. He said, I'm going to send you off into the world to share the gospel. And they had to be absolutely terrified of this idea. So what did they do? Well, they all joined together constantly in prayer. And this will become a theme for the people of God. 31 times in 20 of Acts 28 chapters, Luke mentions prayer. Every big decision, every crisis, every time the church faced a, a now what moment, Luke in bold letters tells us that the people of God came together and they prayed stubbornly. I hope this week you've engaged in some of your own stubborn prayers. No matter what the rest of 2020 has in store, don't stop praying. In fact, why don't you double down on your prayer life? Praying stubbornly when you don't know what is coming next puts you smack in the middle of an upper room in Jerusalem and surrounds you with some great spiritual company. Besides, like those early believers, you can't imagine what God is about to do through you. So why don't you go ahead, open up your Bibles, and take a look with me in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now the day had finally come. The waiting, the praying, it had all been leading up to this moment right here. The moment when God would keep His forgotten promise. And let me describe to you what, what happened next. The pilgrims who had journeyed to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost could not believe their ears. They had come from countries throughout the whole Roman Empire, each with their own language and dialect. Yet they heard Galileans speaking in their native language. Some sneered and said that they were just drunk, and others wondered about the significance of this remarkable event. But they were not drunk, and something phenomenal was happening. God had poured out His Spirit. God had begun the, the restoration of Israel. Peter quoted the prophet Joel with his promises of the Spirit, restoration and salvation for those who call upon the name of the Lord. He told the story of Jesus' ministry and death. He announced the resurrection of Jesus and His exaltation as Lord and Messiah. And the pilgrims, well, well they were astonished. Now what? I mean, what should we do, they asked. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, Peter responded. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people welcomed that message. Now, though most, if not all, had already immersed themselves as they entered the temple that day in one of the mikviats that surrounded the temple mount, they were immersed again. But this time they were immersed calling on the name of Jesus calling upon the name of the Messiah. And a new community was formed. They were now a, a messianic community. The pilgrims came to Jerusalem to seek Yahweh at His temple, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob poured out His Spirit upon them through the exaltation of Jesus of Nazareth as Christ. Now most of you probably recognize that retelling as, as being from Acts chapter 2. After all, for those 
of a Church of Christ or Stone Campbell heritage, Acts 2 is, well, it's our chapter. I mean, we know all about Pentecost and Peter's first gospel sermon. We know what the people ask and we know what Peter told them. And we know the final result. At least we think we know all of those things. Now for a few minutes this morning, I want us to, to unpack these verses here and, and maybe we can hear perhaps for the first time God's forgotten promise. Now Pentecost, well that's the Greek name given to one of the three required yearly Jewish festivals. The Feast of Weeks, it was also called. Pentecost is from a Greek word signifying the 50th of something. Each year, 50 days after celebrating Passover, Jews would gather in Jerusalem for a one-day festival thanking God for the wheat harvest. And, and it's on this day of celebration that we find the apostles together in Jerusalem awaiting the gift that Jesus had spoken of just 10 days earlier, just prior to His ascension. Remember He said, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift My Father promised. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Luke tells us that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here's where I know that Luke was not a southerner because if Luke had been from southern Israel, he would not have described the, the filling of the Holy Spirit as being accompanied by the sound of a violent wind. Now, he would have said that, the, that it, it suddenly there was this sound like a freight train that came from heaven. I mean, that's the way Southerners describe violent winds, right? I mean, after every tornado in the South, just turn on the TV and there will be some excited soul describing what was heard. Now, I once heard a woman from Prattville, Alabama, describe a particular tornado as sounding, and really, I, I quote, just like a freight train, boom chugga lugga lugga, boom chugga lugga lugga. <laughs> that's what she said. Now the key concept here, as Peter points out beginning in verse 16, is, is not the sound and it's not the ability to speak in other languages, but the key concept was the realization of the promise. The Spirit of God was being poured out upon the apostles to empower them to be Christ's witnesses. It was an outpouring that served as a continuation of the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. God was keeping His promise, restoring His people, first in the person and ministry of Jesus, and, and then in the outpouring of the Spirit upon His followers. And now that Peter had the people's attention, he told the crowd that Jesus of Nazareth, a man that many of them had seen perform miracles and had been made by God to be both Lord and Messiah, he also told them that according to God's will, they had crucified Him. And then Peter spoke of Jesus' resurrection as fact by referencing the words of their past King David. Now their heads just had to be spinning with all of this. I mean, what were they hearing? God's Spirit had come. Jesus was the Messiah. Now if all of this was true, well then now what? And so they asked right there in verse 37, what shall we do? Now understand, they're not asking about their immediate personal salvation. They are asking what can be done now that, that they have rejected the Messiah for whom they had waited for centuries. I mean, what about the kingdom? What about the restoration of Israel? What are we going to do? And Peter's answer was to receive what God had done in the person of Jesus through repentance and baptism. This command by Peter to repent and, and be washed was, was not something that would have been strange to his hearers. As Jews, they were accustomed to many different ritual washings. Water rituals had 
always represented a transition from, from old to new, like in the time of Noah, from bondage to freedom for the Hebrew slaves, and from impurity to purity in the Levitical laws. Water rituals cleansed the participants and prepared them for entrance into something that was new and something that was free and pure. They sanctified a people for God's holy presence. I mean, you read through the book of Le Leviticus and what describes how baptism served a significant function in the life of Israel. Ritual immersions were to be a part of the priestly life. And those immersions were important to ritual purity in cases of physical defilement. Pools that were called mikviats were located all around the temple so that worshipers could wash themselves before offering a sacrifice. All of these washings were concerned with ritual purity and not moral purification. But what they did, they allowed the worshiper to, to draw near to God. Well, and then there were the, the baptisms that were commanded by John. Remember John the washing man? John the Baptist? His baptism was noticeably different from the normal Jewish water rituals which the Palestinians would have been familiar. First, John himself, well, he did all the baptizing. Up until this point in Jewish history, baptisms were self-administered. The second difference is that John's baptism was, was concerned with moral purification rather than just ritual purity. His washing was for the forgiveness of sin. But John recognized that his baptism, while accomplishing the remission of sins, was incomplete and that there was one who was coming who would baptize in the Spirit. So Peter's response to the people was not amazing because he called for repentance and baptism. The Jews had, well, they've been undergoing baptisms for centuries. And the message of John's baptism for the remission of sins would have certainly been known to the Jews who were living there in Jerusalem. Now, I think what was so amazing about Peter's announcement was that the gift of God's Holy Spirit was now available to all who would identify with Jesus as the Messiah through repentance and immersion in water. Identity and indwelling. These two ideas or what separated the baptism spoken of by Peter and the baptisms that the Hebrews were accustomed to. Now look, I know that all of this might just seem like a walk through the theological weeds, but it's extremely important. You see, too often, I think, this, the, this particular section of Scripture elicits just a little more than a polite yawn from everybody as we wait for the preacher to move on to the good stuff. But if this moment does not happen, if this moment does not happen, then then you and I are not here. Without this event, we never hear about Jesus. Without this event, we never know God's power. Without this event, you and I are alone in our hopelessness. In fact, what, hap what happened that day in Pentecost directly impacts you today. And let me explain. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read where humanity did not experience life until the Lord breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. Now the word for breath is important in the Hebrew Bible. And you have to be a good German or, or Klingon to say it very well. It's ruach. And the word was used in the Old Testament when talking about breath or wind. And it was also used when a person wanted to talk about the Spirit of God. So understand, the word used to describe how life came to mankind is the same word used for God's Spirit. And, and the Jewish prophet Joel, well he used the word in your Old Testament when he recorded God's promise for the world. It's in Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. He said, I will pour out my spirit, my ruach, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. 
even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my ruach, my, my spirit in those days. Now, why is any of this important? Well, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was talking to the people about Jesus, they thought he and the other apostles were drunk. All these foreign languages, it, it, it made so little sense to them. So this is what Peter told them. These people are not drunk, he says. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he goes on and, and he quotes Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You see, Peter is telling them, these are those days. Peter is telling them that the very breath, the ruach that gave them physical life is the same breath the same Ruach that gives them spiritual life. And that breath is being breathed out, Peter says, now. You know, I wish there was somehow that we could shorten that cultural and theological distance that separates us from these pilgrims in Acts chapter 2 so that somehow we could have a better grasp of the importance and amazement of this now what moment. They asked Peter what they needed to do and, and we're all very, very familiar with Peter's response. But I think we are so ignorant of what he was actually saying. Look one more time with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You're very familiar with it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And this, I believe, is God's forgotten promise. God promised to pour out His Spirit upon His creation, upon us, so that we could once again have life with Him. I call this the forgotten promise because in our past reading and teaching on this particular text, our focus has been almost exclusively on baptism as a means to the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness was made available so that we might live again in close relationship to God. Forgiveness, however, was not the goal. Life with God was the goal. The sacrifice of Jesus fixed our forgiveness. The giving of the Spirit, well, it restored our relationship. You see, we have taken Acts 2.38 and we have strangled it in our attempts to, to prove baptism's role in the salvation process. But the truth is, the focus of Acts 2 and verse 38 is not on baptism. The focus is on the Ruach, the breath, the Holy Spirit of God. People told, or, or Peter told the people at Pentecost that, that God was in the process of breathing life back into his creation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And it is at that baptism that God breathed his very spirit into the soul of the believer. Later, the Apostle Paul would tell Christians in Rome that if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. He would go on to say that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. You see, we are Acts 2 people, but not because we practice baptism for the remission of sins. We are an Acts 2 people because by identifying with Jesus through baptism, we have received the spirit of promise. And that spirit promises life with God, now and for all eternity. 
It's God's promise to you, to your children, to everyone whom the Lord our God will call. See, I told you that what happened then is important today. So go live like someone who has received the breath of God. Live the forgotten promise.